arriving at an understanding of the spiritual gifts next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Don't you love to give your kids gifts? It makes our day as parents, watching them light up at Christmas time or on their birthday. You know, God loves to give His children gifts as well. And if you're a believer, you've been given at least one, if not more. Today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor will take us to Romans chapter 12, where we're given seven motivational gifts. Ed will explain how they're often related to our natural talents or bent in life. And all of this is springing from our study in the Gospel of John. Let's get started, shall we? John's Gospel chapter 14. And if you want to get ahead, Romans chapter 12 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4, Mark chapter 16. It is a topical Bible study that I've entitled Understanding Spiritual Gifts, part one. An introductory as we head into Romans chapter 12 to look at the seven motivational gifts that every single believer has received at least one of them to operate within the body of Christ. You'll recall in John chapter 14... Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. They're discouraged, they're fearful, they're anxious. And all of John 14 is meant to encourage them, to prepare them, and to help them navigate through some very difficult waters when in just a few days he's going to be beaten, he's going to be crucified, and he's going to be buried in a tomb and sealed and guarded by Roman soldiers. They responded with great sorrow, we know. And Jesus is preparing them. Part of his preparation, notice he says in John 14, verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. If you haven't already, in verse 16, mark the word another. From the original language, from the Greek, it means another of the same kind. The Holy Spirit is a person, the third person of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is God. And he's another of the same kind. He is, Jesus is leaving, but the Spirit will come in his place. Also, if you're marking in your Bibles, mark the word helper. We learned that that word in the Greek is parakletos, or literally one to come alongside to help. That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And this is a preparatory promise of God, Jesus, God in human flesh. He is preparing his disciples. He says, the Spirit of God will come. He'll be with you, in you, and we learn in the book of Acts, upon you. And I love what he says. He says in verse 18, I won't leave you orphans. I'll come to you. I physically will be absent, but you won't be alone. You're not going to be an orphan. The Holy Spirit will be with you, indwelling you, 
upon you for power. You're not alone. This was a promise of Jesus Christ. This was an encouragement of Jesus Christ. This was also a training of Jesus of how to live life following him. As many believers make the mistake of living life following Jesus, trying to do it on their own. And if that's you, you know how frustrating that can be. Your vocabulary is filled with words like, I'm trying really hard. And yet, those, that's just a frustrating thing to say, isn't it? Because you're not doing, you're trying. And you're trying to, you, you are trying to give in your explanation, and it, uh, uh, you're trying to share with us what it is in your life where it's not like you don't love God, and it's not like you don't want to follow Him, but you fail often with great difficulty. And that is the life of the believer. We, our life is filled with failures. I mean, maybe even this week you failed, you've stumbled, you've fallen. I mean, you got back up, but you failed. It was hard. You said something you didn't want to say. You did something you shouldn't have done. You look at life, and none of us are perfect. But I wonder as you examine your life if the pattern of your life actually reflects the reality of you living in the flesh and not in the spirit. The flesh. Your old sinful habit patterns. How you live life before you were saved. Trying to figure things out. Trying to do this and trying this. Reading a book and then I'm going to put it, I'm going to put that into practice. But when I read John 14, it's encouraging to me because I'm reminded that living for Jesus does not depend upon me. It's not all on me. So when I hear a Bible study, I know that God is going to give me the power to obey him. When I'm sitting around doing devotions and God just speaks something to my heart, I know that he's going to empower me to follow through. I know that I don't just have to run out and go, okay, I'm going to try really hard, and if I don't make it, at least I tried. No, I can leave with the confidence that God, he promised me the Holy Spirit, and he's not going to leave me alone. The Holy Spirit's going to lead me. The Holy Spirit's going to guide me. The Holy Spirit's going to teach me. The Holy Spirit's going to empower me. And you know what, friend? Those promises for me are promises for us. You're not on your own. You don't have to live the life of trying. You can live the life of yielding and abiding in the Lord and allowing the Holy Spirit to lead and teach you and empower you. Watching God do a great work in your life. It's an incredible thing. This happened pretty quickly for the disciples. You can jot it down in Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 19. It says, So then... After the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God, and they, speaking of the disciples, went out and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. How encouraging. The Lord was working with them. But how was the Lord working with them when he was already in heaven? The presence of the Holy Spirit. He ascends into heaven, but the Bible says he's still working with them. Yes, through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And for them, there was accompanying signs. That there was an accompanying presence that was so obvious to everyone around. And God is still doing that work today. The Bible says that signs will follow believers. And just be careful, church. Believers aren't to follow after the signs. Signs follow believers. The work of God in our lives you know what the greatest sign is? I mean, because there's a lot of debate on what the signs are and why aren't we seeing all the miracles that we saw in the first century and all sorts of talk like that. But you know what the greatest sign that you could ever see in the entirety of your life is? 
someone that's saved. You literally are walking miracles. Did you know that? You are a wa- Some of you more than others, believe me, but you are a walking miracle, like what God has done in your life. You were one moment in deep darkness, and in an instant, you were born again, completely changed. It's affected your whole life. It's affected your whole family. It's affected your neighbors, your boss, your coworkers. God rescued you, and we see that accompanying sign all the time. All the time, God is still saving, which gives us hope, doesn't it, for the people we're praying for. It's like, God, man, I want you to come back, but there's that tension, isn't there? Lord, Maranatha, even so, come quickly, and yet you're still praying. You still see people that need to be changed, and there's always that tension. Lord, just one second after my dad gets saved, just one second, just would you please come back just one second? Like, save him right now, and then you can come back anytime, Lord. There's hope. God is doing a work on the earth today. It's a great promise, this power of the Spirit, both personally and practically, that the Spirit will come and the Spirit will teach you all things and the Spirit will bring to your remembrance the things that you've already learned and the Spirit will abide with you. Remember we learned the three relationships that you can have with the Holy Spirit, the with experience, the convicting work of the Holy Spirit in the world today. Then for believers, when they're born again, the Spirit of God comes in you to seal you become the guarantee of your salvation. And then we learn in the book of Acts that the, the believers that had received the Holy Spirit were to wait in Jerusalem for what? For the Spirit to come upon them, the AP experience, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And that's available to you today. It's available to you to watch God work in your life, not to try to do it all the time yourself. And with the Holy Spirit comes spiritual gifts. These are not talents. A lot of times spiritual gifts are confused with talents. And the spiritual gifts of God are not natural talents. As they're listed out, would you turn over to Romans chapter 12 with me? As we have different categories of spiritual gifts and manifestations and ministries of the Holy Spirit. Actually, Hold your place in Romans 12 because we'll get there eventually. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 because I want you to see this. Because you may be like I was for many years. When I was studying the Bible and I would talk about spiritual gifts, I would go through and I'd count, okay, there's seven in Romans. And then I'd go through the first Corinthians, okay, there's nine there. And maybe a few other places and say, okay, the Bible reveals to us 16 spiritual gifts and they all kind of, kind of got mixed up together and, and they weren't dealt with, I believe, the way that the Bible deals with them. And so it was many years ago as I took a more deeper study into this realm of spiritual gifts that I found out that there were different categories. And it's very clear. Notice with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which starts out with that familiar phrase. As Paul's writing, he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. Four things the Bible tells us not to be ignorant about. Number one, spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is all review for those of you that weren't here. The next one was Satan's strategies, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. Don't be ignorant, church, how the devil wants to rip you off. He hasn't come except to kill, steal, and destroy. We know his schemes. He's a liar, a deceiver, an accuser. Don't be ignorant of that. The next one, don't be ignorant about God's heart for Israel. The church did not replace Israel. God is not done with Israel, and that should be good news to you because God keeps his promises to Israel. He's going to keep his promises to you. 
And there's a final seven-year period of time that God is going to turn his attention once again to the nation of Israel and fulfill all promises that he made to Israel that are still yet unfulfilled. We know that as the Great Tribulation period after the rapture of the church. And then lastly, don't be, don't be ignorant according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, about the rapture or the second coming of the Lord. Don't be ignorant about end times and the, the eschatology or the study of end times. Don't be ignorant of those things. And here in verse 1 of chapter 12, Paul is writing, we have to understand Paul is writing to what he termed a carnal church, a carnal church. We don't use that word very much today, but you could replace that word carnal with the phrase fleshly. He's writing to a church that's living like they're unbelievers. That's really what fleshly means. You're living like you're an unbeliever. You're living not in the spirit. You know, the Bible says this, Paul would write to another, to another group of believers that we should walk in the spirit so that we wouldn't fulfill the lust of the flesh. The word lust is usually used in a sexual connotation, but it's not just sexual. The word lust means to have a super strong feeling toward. It means to be pulled in a certain direction. It, it means to be, have a strong attraction to. And when the spirit is, the flesh is lusting against the spirit, it's a fight trying to pull your spiritual life back to the past. Another way of thinking of carnal and flesh is this way. Think of your flesh as your old sinful habit patterns the way you used to live before Jesus Christ. Or if you were saved since you were a little kid, the, the idea of you leaning away from God and not toward God. For example, the Bible is very clear that when you're walking in the Spirit, the Spirit will not lead you to the flesh. <laughs> it won't lead you to sin. Anytime we find ourselves in a sinful, large or small situation, the Lord did not lead you there. The Lord didn't lead you there. Your flesh did. As a matter of fact, one of the prayers that Jesus encouraged us is says, oh, Lord, don't lead us into temptation. And it's with the temptation that we go. God does not tempt anyone with evil, but the enemy loves to all the time. And so does our flesh. So does our humanity. You're looking carnal, fleshly, old sinful habit patterns and our humanity. Those are all good synonyms for the reality of the life of the Spirit. And he says to a carnal church, this church was messed up. Churches can get messed up. First, the leadership was all messed up. Because remember, there was that big issue. There was a lot of things going on in the Corinthian church, but there was that big issue that really made it obvious. The big issue was that guy that was having an adulterous sexual relationship with his dad's new wife. And that was happening in the church. And the church was okay with it and approving it. They were almost like, you could hear them saying, well, you know, we're a very liberal church. We're a very inclusive church. Listen, we're a, we are a church that is welcoming to all, but we are not inclusive of someone living in unconfessed sin. That's not the heart of God. He wants you to be delivered from that. He wants you to live a life that he designed you for, a much better life, a higher, living on such a higher level than you are right now, but not inclusive to the, where, where sin is approved. That's what was happening in the Corinthian church. They were approving of sin. They were glorying in it, and he rebukes them. And, and for good reason, we know by the time 2 Corinthians came that that brother, as he went through something known as church discipline, he was removed from fellowship, awaiting humility, brokenness, and repentance after many attempts to reconcile. We know in 2 Corinthians he did repent. 
he came back into the church, he stopped the relationship, and he got back on track with the Lord. That's always good news. That is, by the way, the essence of church discipline. The essence of church discipline is always restoration. That's the heart. The heart is that someone will get their life back on track with the Lord. It's to this group, this carnal group that weren't living in the spirit that he says, I don't want you to be ignorant, guys. You, you, you aren't getting it. And he says in verse 2, you know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And then notice the three categories of spiritual things that Paul gives. One more thing before we get to verse 4. Go back to verse 1 and notice with me the word gifts. If you're holding a New King James Bible in your hand, you'll recognize that the word gifts is in italics. And that's a tool that the translators give to us to let us know that that word gifts is not in the original manuscripts or transcripts. It's not there. It was inserted by the translators to help us understand the heart of the language. Because taking Greek in the New Testament or Hebrew in the Old Testament and translating it into English, it can't be word for word. We have different nuances, different definitions. So the translators inserted various words in italics, just so you know that that's not there. But it helps you to understand the topic that he's coming to. But you could reread verse 1 like this. Now concerning spirituals. I don't want you to be ignorant. And he's going to introduce to us the life of the Spirit. The spirituality of the Christian life. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The person and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And there's three categories in verses 4, 5, and 6. The first one is there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. This refers to Romans chapter 12, as we'll get to in a moment. Then secondly, there are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. This is in reference to Ephesians chapter 4. And then finally, there are diversities of activities, but in the, it is the same God who works all in all, and the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So in Romans chapter 12, we have the diversities of gifts, or the motivational spiritual gifts. Let's turn over there, and let's look at them. Romans chapter 12. Every single believer who is born again has been given one of these seven spiritual gifts. Through these seven spiritual gifts, the fullness of Jesus Christ is active in the church today. These are the gifts that help us walk alongside being the light of the world, the salt in the earth, salt and the light of the earth. This, this is the work of Jesus through us, and there are seven gifts mentioned here. Pick up with me in Romans chapter 12, verse 6. Paul writes, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Ministry, or another way of saying service, let us use it in our serving. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. And he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Every single one of you born-again believers have one of these gifts. And one that, or more, 
You can have more, and they overlap, but there's one that really moves you and motivates you. And one of the reasons you may not recognize it is because they're often related to a natural talent in your life. Just how you are. You're bent. We would refer to that as you're bent in life. What you're into, what you like. But not every talent is a spiritual gift. Let me give you an example. An unbeliever can teach. An unbeliever can effectively teach. They can convey a topic, teach a classroom. They can teach without any help from the Holy Spirit's spiritual gift of teaching. And they can be phenomenally great, wonderful teachers. I would even propose to you that an unbeliever can take a Bible, pull out from it the text, the historical context, and can teach the Bible just as a normal human being. Now, they don't have any spiritual power. They don't have any leading of the Holy Spirit, but they can open up the Bible. They can read the words. They can look up the Greek. They can look up in a dictionary the topic. They can put together a package of information that will rightly reflect what the text says, even as an unbeliever. And professors are doing that all the time, you know, in their comparative religion classes. They think they're all kind of slick and say, oh, we'll talk these kids out of their faith, and I will make sure. And then what they do is they open up the Bible and they try to twist it and they try to move it around, not realizing or not believing or acknowledging that the Bible is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. So if they open up the Bible and start reading it, God is there moving through his word despite the vessel. That's happening all the time. You can pray for the kids in college that the Lord will just open up the word and establish them. However, when someone with the spiritual gift of teaching takes the Bible and they're in the hands of the Lord, man, not only do you get all the facts of the Bible, but God is able to take that person and use the word in a way that can hit everybody that's listening at the same time. Pastor Ed Taylor helping us understand the spiritual gifts and specifically the seven motivational gifts laid out for us in Romans chapter 12. We'll develop this in much greater detail next time. And this is Abounding Grace. Ed, a common question in this realm is, how do I discover which gifts are mine? Would you address that briefly? Well, the first place we always go, Larry, when we want to discover something about God is His Word. And that's what we're going to be doing here on Abounding Grace in the coming weeks, looking at the seven primary spiritual motivational gifts that God has given us, uh, one to every single believer. This is such an exciting—I just got an email this morning of a sister that discovered that her gift was not prophecy, but teaching. Now, just that email alone is a revelation of how God has made this sister and how God wants to use her in the future— and she does have a prophetic gift about her, but her primary gift is teaching and how the Lord wants to use it. And now you're going to learn. I mean, at the end of these studies, 99.9% .9 of you will know your gift, start exercising it within your local body, and then follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I know that he will use you greatly. Stick around. These coming weeks are going to be life altering life changing. Thanks again, Pastor Ed. To give this a second listen, just go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through the Calvary Church app. You can search for Ed Taylor to download that today. Look for our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, 
and Stitcher. Well, today we're excited to tell you about a book written by Scott Sauls titled Beautiful People Don't Just Happen. It reads sort of like a field guide and will lead you to what the Bible calls the secret of being content in every circumstance. You'll also find hope in how God is drawn toward you in your sin and sorrow. Get a better idea of how God uses our struggles to make us more lovely. And learn how to quiet shaming and wearing thoughts with God's divine countervoice. We'll gladly send you a copy of Beautiful People Just Don't Happen for a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Thank you for remembering us in your prayers and giving to the Lord. Your gift, whatever the size, will serve to help us reach thousands with the message of Christ. Reach us toll free at 877-30-GRACE. Again, 877-30-GRACE. If you'd just like to make a donation and you're not interested in the pick of the month, you can just go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Connect with us through social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. There's a link to each page at AboundingGraceRadio.com. We've got another study in the Gospel of John to look forward to tomorrow on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.